Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We'll see how far I can get in this chapter. Um, There have been a lot of different ideas expressed about what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Now, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be honest and kind of preface this with the understanding that the things that we're going to talk about today are not things that the Bible specifically lays out, okay? The Bible's very clear on many, many subjects, on many fronts. Um, God does give us a lot of, if you're a Christian, don't do this type of stuff. But did you know there's also a lot of stuff that God does not directly, um, he doesn't directly address when it comes to particular topics in an individual's life? And on some level, even some of the things that, uh, you know, you've heard me say before that if, um, is, is it right for me being a Christian that is, um, 34 year, a 34 year old Christian? Is it right for me to expect a two year old Christian to conduct their life the same way I do? Should there be a higher expectation for someone who's a 34 year old Christian versus someone who's a two year old Christian? There's a huge difference between those two. Um, so even in cases that the Bible is very specific on, the relationship that individual have is a relationship between them and God. Christian accountability is a thing. Matter of fact, a lot of people learn through Christian accountability. There are individuals that we may approach and talk to them about something that they're doing in their life that they aren't aware of the fact that it's something that God does not want them to do yet because they haven't grown to the point of actually understanding that many many cases more than i could number i've had cases uh, where individuals have come up to me and say hey did you know the bible said that this is wrong <laughs> and it's like i'm glad to see your excitement but yeah i've known for a long time the bible that god said that that was wrong <laughs> but to them it's brand spanking new stuff um, now we're accountable to god for what we know within our individual relationship now what churches have been in the past in their history is um, we've pretty much eliminated the personal relationship and and have associated it with a church relationship. Now, it's not that a church relationship with God, a corporate relationship doesn't exist. Of course it exists. But the corporate relationship has more to do with a church church and its intentions, its motivations. What kind of things does it fund in its budget? Is it it, uh, doing things that actually uh, promote the gospel? Is it doing things that promote... Uh, the gospel in missions, the gospel in ministries, uh, the gospel in, in our individual lives. Church relationship is here. Okay, so I'm not eliminating that. But the church relationship would never exist without a personal relationship. In other words, what we see as a corporate relationship is the result of the, the individual relationships that make it up within the church. If nobody in this church had a personal relationship, what would our corporate relationship look like 
It'd be terrible. I mean, there would be nobody on the same page, nobody with the, with the same intentions, nobody coming together for the same purpose. It would, it would be a mess. And believe me, those churches are numerous and they do exist where churches exist basically to make money. I mean, it's a shame. Fact is, a whole lot of churches out there um, are churches that are out there for either self-gratification, for glorification, self-glorification, or for financial gain. A church is only a church if the church performs the functions that Jesus Christ wants the church to, to perform. And it only performs those functions if individuals in the church and their individual relationships accept Christ accept the gift that Christ has given them, and then employs it in a corporate manner for the church to produce what it is that God established the church to produce. Historically speaking, and I grew up for a long time in a Southern Baptist church before I actually realized that church was more than going to church, sitting in a Sunday school class for an hour, and then sitting in a pew for an hour and a half. I mean, that was really what the idea... Somebody's a brand spanking new Christian, they go to church, that's honestly what they think. I mean, it's come in, punch the clock... You leave at noon, my duty's been done for the day. When I, when I got involved in deacon ministry and got involved in pastoral ministry, it was a little bit overwhelming to realize that church was more than sitting in a Sunday school class and sitting in a pew in a church. It really is more than that. And if individuals in their individual relationships with Jesus Christ come to that conclusion, then the, char- the church or the corporate relationship becomes a powerhouse because individuals begin to fill roles that God called them in for the purpose of expanding the kingdom and glorifying Jesus Christ. Now, what we have in our history as human beings, and we're fallen human beings, how many of you have ever been sitting next to your spouse or sitting next to somebody that you know, and the preacher says something that you know applies to the person next to you, and you turn and scoff at them? Or you elbow them to wake them up to make sure that they didn't miss that part. Again, even though there is a line, I'm here to tell you, as Christians, we're way too nosy. My dad used to tell me all the time, he he said, uh, if you ever find the perfect church, don't you join it or you'll mess it up. It's a fact. I mean, people are out there looking for the perfect church, right? Perfect churches do not exist. Perfect people do not exist outside of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Perfect people do not exist. So once we get to the understanding of knowing that we are all sinners saved by grace, we all have our own shortcomings. I mean, how many of you guys are good enough in your own life, in your relationship with Jesus, that you honestly feel like that it's better for you to take a break from your life and begin to maintain someone else's. Fact is, that's church life for the most part. And, and I think part of it is an avoidance. I think as long as, as long as individuals are pointing at someone else and complaining about them, they get to t- take a break from realizing their own shortcomings. But the fact is, if we think if we think that us pushing someone to do what we want them to do is going to accomplish the will of God, it won't take long to realize that us pushing people to do what we want them to do will only accomplish the will of man. It's the same concept as sharing the gospel. We share the gospel with people. 
We don't back him down to a corner and beat him with the Bible until they decide to trust in him. And I'll say again, folks, I've said this a lot. I think it's something worth repeating many, many times. If someone becomes a Christian because you talked them into becoming a Christian, they're more lost than they were before you talked to them. Because now it's not the Holy Spirit leading them to come to know Christ. It's you forming a great argument that convinced them to become a a believer in Christ. The last I checked, what power does a human being have in offering salvation to someone? We offer it in Christ. Under no circumstances does the Bible ever give credit to a human being for people coming to know Christ. We share the gospel. We leave the results up to God. In our own individual relationships, although I will say again, reflecting on the on the preface, that there are circumstances where we must hold one another accountable. There are also circumstances where we have to let each other grow. We have to let each other grow. This particular chapter in the book of Romans, and Romans in its history, we know that the church in Rome was actually established by Jews who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we also know that this church was planted in Rome, which was a Gentile city. So you had two basic groups of individuals who were inside this church, and they fought like cats and dogs. One of them thought they were more important than the other, and the other thought they were more more important than the other, and they they were constantly bickering. The Jews were saying, we're better than you are because the oracles came through our people. The Gentiles are saying, we're better than you are because we came into this relationship through Jesus Christ. It was just this constant back and forth. When people are in that mood, how much does it increase the chances of someone pointing out someone else's faults? It increases it. It increases the chances of someone pointing out someone else's faults. So the Apostle Paul, in this particular passage of Scripture, he actually speaks of things that are matters of conscience. The things that the Bible doesn't really say um, a command about, it may allude to in some places, but it had a particular purpose. The fact is, folks, way too many people take a Scripture passage and pull it out of context. Context is important. Context is, as a matter of fact, I would say um, context is an absolute importance anytime you're reading the Bible. Um, We have to, in order for us to be individuals who are going to be living the life that Christ has called us to, we have to, one, know what God said, two, know why he said it. Then we can glean from it what it is that he, the adjustments he wants to make in our individual lives. The adjustments will always happen at a different time space. The adjustments will always happen at a different period in an individual's relationship. One universal truth in all of it is change will happen. It will. And as much as I know we as Christians like to wait, as much as I know we as Christians love change, this multiplies the difficulty in it. So in most cases, wait. At the very least, give God his timing. Take a look at Romans chapter 14, starting with verse 1. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. In this particular verse, he's opening this up to kind of the scenario that he's going to be addressing in this passage of Scripture. Um, In this particular passage of Scripture, 
how many of you guys uh, grew up in like a public school that had cliques in it? Um, can somebody tell me why groups of pretty girls always have one ugly girl in the group? It's a fact. I mean, this is a fact. This is this is a this is a herd fact, and I don't mean H E A R D. I mean H E R D fact. Why is it that the popular boys? always seem to have one unpopular kid in the circle. They always need someone to make fun of, right? They always need someone to pick on, right? In, in this verse, he's actually saying, except the one who's weak in the faith. Now, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about individuals who are Christians, except the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Weak in the faith. Doesn't matter what age an individual is. They can be strong in the faith. They can be weak in the faith. It depends on really how much uh, time that they've put into their relationship with Jesus Christ. I've told you before that I've known people who've been Christians for 40 years who I would consider to be weak in the faith. And I know people who've been Christians for four years who I would consider to be very strong in their faith. So age has nothing to do with this. Age of a Christian has nothing to do with this. This has to do with individuals <clears throat> who are all on a particular path that God has placed the, them on for the purpose of progressing in that relationship. So if an individual um, who is weak in the faith gets into a group of individuals who is not weak in the faith, the purpose of the individuals who are not weak in the faith should be to do everything they can to strengthen the one individual who is weak in the faith. Not for the purpose of ridiculing. Now, some of you might be able to pull out specific circumstances where this has happened, because this is not a rare occasion in church life. This is something... Um, how many of you guys have ever had the Christian conspiracy theorist that throws out some of these really crazy things? Like I know a person who's a Christian who, uh, I know a person who is a Christian who actually has bought into because he was watching Ancient Aliens. Anybody ever watch that program? I mean, if you're strong in the faith, and be strong in the faith if you're going to watch it. But if you if you are strong in the faith, if you if you trust in Jesus and know who Jesus is and who God is and who the Bible actually says they are and where they where they have always existed, it's amusing. I want to encourage you to watch it. Because here's what here's what the overall theory was, and this is what this person who believes in Jesus Christ was actually pondering in their mind. They come up to me and they say, "Hey, did you know that <clears throat> when Adam and Eve had children, that within that first two thousand years in their bloodline, that there were deformities and there were just problems in the genes, and um, God, an alien, he came to Earth." And he actually um, mated with, by the way, I'll tell you who the, who the alien was. Anybody want to guess who the alien was? It was Noah. Noah was the alien. So Noah, being an alien, had mixed his gene pool with a human being, and that was supposed to fix the problem that had genetically occurred in the first 2,000 years. So we're all descendants of aliens. Okay. And, and we would just be, I mean, we would have cancer and stuff if they hadn't come. 
So I say that lightly standing in front of you. What's the benefit of laughing at him at the time that he says this? Are just hammering his his theory with all of the scripture that I can find. What's the benefit in that? Once a person feels ridiculed, what's the chances of that relationship continuing? It's not worth it. It's not worth being someone who ridicules people based on what it is that they believe at any particular given point or time. How many of you guys believed things when you were teenagers that changed as you grew older? This is the process that we live by. We all evolve. I don't mean evolution like scientists talk about. But I mean we make, we think some pretty weird things when we're growing up. And then experience and reality and in, in Christianity, faith is huge when it comes to molding those things. Faith, Bible study, uh, honestly, I, I would prefer have a bunch of people nuttier than squirrel poop sit in a church and listen to a message than to not have them sit in church and listen to a message. You know why? If they're here, there's a chance that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, right? But if we ridicule them before they even walk through the door, what's the chances they come in and hear the truth? It's not worth destroying the relationship. Because as long as people are in a relationship with us, we have the possibility of having an impact on them. But if we ridicule people for what it is that they think, the relationship then stops. And then the opportunity to impact them, guess who's going to be the one that's actually going to take advantage of that? The one who's not a believer. So we're actually pushing people away from Calvary if we're individuals who are passing judgment on people who are weak in the faith. Verse 2 says, One man has faith that he may eat all things. He who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. Now we talk about the stumbling blocks all the time. And, and I believe, I understand, it's a huge discussion that individuals, uh, that individuals get involved in. Stumbling blocks um, are, are, are truly misunderstood in Christianity. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. But I'm going to caution you. Don't answer it very fast. If I, a Southern Baptist preacher, walk into a bar, is that a stumbling block? No. If I, a preacher, walk into a bar, order a beer, is that a stumbling block? Yes. And I have people all the time who say, oh, well, you shouldn't even be walking, you shouldn't be walking down the aisle in the grocery store that sells liquor. It's like, but the chips are in the same aisle. <laughs> so it's, and I always reflect back on the story of Jesus when he went in to eat with sinners and publicans. And when he went in to eat with the sinners and publicans, what did the Pharisees say? Look at Jesus, he's, he's eating with sinners and publicans. 
not not to be confused with Republicans. <laughs> He's eating with sinners and publicans, which there's a very small difference between the two. Sinners and publicans. By the way, the Lord just gave me permission to say this. It's politicians as a whole. <clears throat> not a party, but it's politicians as a whole. They criticized Jesus for going in and eating a meal with people who were sinners and people who were involved in politics of the day. So was Jesus a stumbling block? Do you think that Jesus would ever be a stumbling block? No way he would be a stumbling block. So just because the Pharisees said, oh, look at him, he walked in there and was eating with those people, didn't make him a stumbling block. Now had Jesus began to involve himself in the same things that those individuals were involving himself, themselves in, then that would make him a stumbling block. And the whole point was, what did Jesus say to the, to the Pharisees? It's not the well that need a physician. And I'll tell you something, folks. We've become extremely guilty by misunderstanding what a stumbling block is. We've become extremely guilty of hurting ourselves, H-E-R-D-I-N-G, in Christian circles. The safe spaces. Now, although I would never encourage anybody to go into any place or into any area where they have suffered weaknesses in their lifetime. I would say that if we hold the power of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, where is that going to most beneficially be used? In church? I want to hunt a deer. You think I sit in my kitchen? No, my, maybe my dining room because I can raise the back window and shoot out the window. Not going to stand in my kitchen though. If I want to hunt a deer, guess where I got to go? I got to go where the deer are, right? There's very little chance, not impossible, but there's very little chance a deer's going to walk in my kitchen and go, here I am for my appointment. It's not going to happen. As churches, we've done the exact same thing. We will, we would prefer to ask someone to come to church before we would just share the gospel with them. What's the chances of by the way, can anybody show me a place in Scripture where it tells lost people to come to church? Does it exist? There's no place in the Scripture where it asks for the lost person to go to church. You know what it does say? It tells the church to go find the lost person. Chances are you're not going to find them here. You're not going to find them in the safety of your home. Chances are you're not going to find them in the places that you frequent. If you want to find a lost person, you have to go where lost people go you have to be in those places where lost people are going to frequent the church has become so scared of the stumbling block ideology that the gospel has become powerless where the sinner resides tell me that's not from the playbook of satan if he wants to keep people saved all he's are unsaved all he's got to do is keep them in un unsaved places the church won't go after him What he's talking about here in these verses is what a person eats, and he's going to expound on this in just a minute. What a person eats or does not eat is between them and their God. What a person eats and does not eat is between them and their God. 
I sit down at a table. I get me a big old medium rare steak. The guy next to me says, you know, the Old Testament says you're not supposed to eat blood. Well, I don't, I squeeze the blood out. I personally think that God's completely okay with me eating a steak. Right? I mean, that's my personal belief. So what does that mean that everybody else should do? Mind your own business. That's really what that, just mind your business. And the person that's eating vegetables? I mean, I love to tell people who are vegetarians all the time, you know what these four really sharp teeth are right here? You got two on the top, two on the bottom. Those are called canines. You know what those are for? Ripping flesh. That's what those are there for. When it comes to people in their relationship with Jesus Christ, I shouldn't be ridiculing them because my food eats their food. And they shouldn't be ridiculing me because of my food that I eat. You want to eat vegetables? You think that it's wrong for you to eat meat? Let me expound on this a little bit. How many of you guys like the word stupid? I was grown, I was, I was raised up not to say the word stupid. I'm saying it in a sermon context, so it's okay. Um, how many of you guys were taught not to use that word? How many of you were not taught to use that word? I mean, how many of you were, yeah, not, not taught to use that word? people from both sides of that, right? So is it wrong for someone who has never been told not to use the word stupid to use the word stupid? No. But what do those of us who were taught not to use the word stupid do when somebody uses the word stupid? This is a perfect example. And he says in this next verse, look at verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not... For the Lord he does not for the Lord he for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. Now here's the advice that I give people quite often. If you feel like God doesn't want you to use the word stupid, I seriously um, suggest that you don't use the word stupid. Because that's personal responsibility. That's the responsibility that is between God and us as individuals. Let me ask you something. Does the Bible speak against smoking? Doesn't. But what's every Christian's opinion on the matter? It's wrong, right? I mean, every Christian's opinion, that's wrong. 
But to an individual who is, who is young in Christ and a smoker, who has had no conviction by the Holy Spirit, is smoking wrong for that person? Nope. Now, this is one of those areas, though, that I've always been excited because somebody will call me up one day and go, um, I don't think me smoking is honoring to God. And it's like you hear the, oh. That's the way it's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen by walking up to somebody and ridiculing them about something the Bible doesn't even say. I've gotten into conversations several times in the, in the <clears throat> 30 years of ministry with individuals who I pull up in their driveway unannounced. <clears throat> I, didn't mean, I didn't realize it at the time. Do you guys realize how terrifying it is, the thought of a preacher pulling up in your driveway unannounced? Because I honestly didn't realize that. At, at, in my younger years in ministry, I just, I, I, I guess I was just, I guess I was just, gullible enough to think that people at home would act the same way they do at church. You know, this is the same idea of could Jesus show up at your house any hour of any day in a week and you'd be completely okay with it? And some people can say yes. And those of those of all of humankind who say no I got a very hillbilly logic question for you. If the answer is no, it would not be okay for Jesus to show up at my house any day of the week, any hour of the day. Should it be that way? Because the amazing thing is, it doesn't require a preacher to tell people what's right and wrong. We have a Holy Spirit. I know a lot of preachers in the world have assumed that role, and they should have never assumed that role, because the relationship is an individual relationship. And when I pull up in somebody's driveway and they're standing outside smoking a cigarette, and as soon as they see my car, they put the cigarette behind their back, guess what that tells me? That person should not be smoking. Because there is a deep ingrained conviction when the thought of God comes into their mind when they're doing it. Not that the smoking's wrong, according to the scripture. It's not that drinking's wrong, according to the scripture. But we have something that goes beyond God's word. I know that's a dangerous thing to say, but it's a fact. That's what this entire chapter is about. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will expound things in an individual's mind and will even give us reasons as to why we perceive it that way. Does the Bible speak against gambling? Not specifically. Two things you'll never catch me doing, going to the casino and buying a lottery ticket. Why? In my own relationship with Christ, He's brought to mind that if I ever win, that I'm winning somebody else's money that they put up their rent for. They put up their car payment for. And people say, well, they're going to do that anyway. And it's like, yeah, but I don't have to involve myself in it. That's my conviction. That's my conviction. I would never say that should be your conviction. 
But I will say, whatever the Holy Spirit tells us, we are responsible for. So me not even knowing where a person is in their relationship with Christ, not knowing the things that Jesus Christ has said to them, not knowing where they are in that walk, what business do I have pushing people to do what I think is right or wrong in those cases? None. How many of us have shortcomings in here? How many of us have things that we know that the Holy Spirit is actively working on us for that we know that we are responsible to just pull up our bootstraps and carry out one of these days? We're all in this constant process. Walking a mile in somebody else's shoes? If we were individuals critical to someone else because of where they're at and what they think in their faith, how would we feel if it was turned the other way? Would it be helpful? Would it encourage you to come to church on Sunday if you just knew that when you walked in, somebody was going to point out a problem you have? I would much rather get people in an atmosphere where they're going to expo- be exposed to God's word, be exposed to his Holy Spirit, and then allow God to do what it is that he wants to do. We can teach it and we can preach it and we can do it with confidence because we know that it's the absolute truth. But the end result is not up to us. It's not up to us. Folks, this planet is covered with churches that lay out this list of rules for individuals to follow. I can stand up here and tell you today with absolute confidence the only rule I ever want you to follow is the rule that Jesus Christ himself gives you. Whether that involves something that we would consider to be huge in the list of don'ts or something that we may not even think about in the list of don'ts. Being faithful in that is an entirely different discussion. Although I will say that we need to allow the Lord to speak to people and allow the Lord to move people. I will also stand here and say, as a minister with my heart in the right place, that I do expect for individuals when spoken to by the Lord to move. don't remember the name of the song, but one part in the song stuck with me ever since I was ever since I was young in the ministry was move or move me. Move or move me. And the whole premise behind that is we all live lives that are not in line with who God is. We all live lives that are not in line with what God wants us to be. And we have cases in our life where we want the Lord to move. But very seldom do we as individuals say, Lord, if you don't move and we're still not in line with each other, move me. So where you move, Lord, amen. But if you're in the right place and I'm in the wrong place, by all means, move me. One of the biggest downfalls of Christianity today. You spend way too much time 
focusing on other people's relationships with Jesus Christ, and we don't spend near enough time focusing on our own relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my own relationship with Jesus, I can keep myself plenty busy. Am I alone? We can't be people who are avoiding the Holy Spirit by focusing on things other than what we're supposed to be focusing on. I'm going to try to go a few more verses and then we'll close. Look at verse 7. It says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Are you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. How many of you guys have ever worked on a school project and you had a friend who wasn't very good at what it was that you were doing and you were really good at what you were doing and the friend always wanted you to go over and help them do theirs. And then when it came time for the project to be turned in, theirs was done, not only done, but done with your quality and yours was not. We're all going to stand before God. And do you think that God is going to stand there and let us say, yeah, but so-and-so? What do you think our divine appointment is going to be about? Is it going to be about everyone else? Or is it going to be about us? Now, I would be amiss if I didn't mention this. Here's the interesting thing about Christianity that sets it apart from every other religion and every other philosophy. When our relationship with God is about us, the key is when our relationship with God is about us, it automatically becomes about everyone else. The difference is What comes from me apart from God is tainted by the fallen human nature. What comes from me as a a result of my relationship with God moves through the Jesus filter before it is exposed to other people. So I've drawn a diagram before. And the diagram was God, us, others. The way we tend to do it as human beings is we interact with others and then talk to God to fix it. Right? It should be we are interacting with God and then we deal with people. It'll change the way we see things. It'll change the way we say things. It'll change the way we think things. It's just like women being offended. Every, and it's always the woman. Being offended when I tell them, you want your husband to love Jesus more than he loves you. And women just, oh, they gasp. I can't believe you. I'm supposed to be number one. But it's like, you don't get it. 
if the relationship between your husband and Jesus is right, then he's going to love you better, more. It's going to be astronomically different if he loves Jesus first. Because a man who loves Jesus first will love his wife the way that Jesus wants him to. It's the same thing. Our individual relationship with Jesus Christ, that is what affects everything in our world. That's what makes it about everybody else. And it not only makes it about everyone else, but it makes sure that what we make about everyone else is being promoted by God and not by self. I'll say this. If we live, we live for God. Speaking to Christians, if we die, we die for God. Whether we live or die, we are God's. We belong to Him. Did you hear another option in there? If we live, we live for God. Was there another option in there? Does it say an option is if we live, we live to ourselves? Or if we live, we live for others? If we live, we live for God. He has to be the henchman in this relationship. And we have to promote and allow him to be the henchman in everyone else's relationship. We continue to teach the truth. We continue to preach the truth. We continue to teach individuals on a personal level. We never do it with an attitude of judgment. We always do it with an attitude of hope. We always do it with an attitude of exaltation. Always desiring to lift people up. Always desiring to restore restoring people. Never, ever, for the purpose of destroying people. Our individual relationship will determine the corporate relationship of this church. You will never fix a church by fixing its ministries. You will never fix a church by, by fixing its programs. You will never fix a church by fixing anything but ourselves. We get things right with God. Godly things will happen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.